0: Hello and welcome back everybody to The 3 Point Threat, a Utah Jazz show. I'm your host Jared Woodcox and uh, excited to announce that this is episode 20 of The 3 Point Threat. Crazy to believe that uh, I've already done 20 shows but happy to keep going on and excited to get you guys uh, the best jazz news and and insight that I can. Uh, For today's show, first and foremost I wanted to talk about uh, the Rudy Gobert injury, kind of give my two cents on what's become kind of a big news story at least among jazz fans. Um about the Dion Waiters' dive for the loose ball, if you want to call it that, and the ensuing Rudy Gobert injury. And then just talk a little bit about you know how this affects the jazz moving forward uh, from there. So that'll be point number one. For point two, um, I want to talk a little bit further about something I actually wrote about last week. And that's uh for lack of a better term, that's fixing the Utah Jazz or or maybe jump starting the Utah Jazz. Obviously, they had a bit of a disappointing week uh, this past week. They've looked pretty bad in a few of their games, and I touched on some things that I think they can do to improve. In fact, one of them already was put into place. You know, Maybe Quinn Snyder's been reading my blog. I don't know, but (laughs) I'd be flattered if he did. Uh, But anyhow, that'll be point number two. We'll just be kind of talking about some things that Jazz can do to continue to improve, um, some things they're already doing, and a look ahead at how they can keep getting better. Then last of all for point three, as I've been doing the last few shows, I'm going to do a preview of the upcoming week. Um, The Jazz are going to start their longest road trip so far. Um, After a home game on Monday, they're going to go on to head out east. Uh, They'll play three of those four games of the road trip this week. So I'll preview that home game against the Wolves and the first three uh, road games that they have after that. So without further ado, I'll jump right in to the uh, 20th episode of the Three Point Threat. And here's point number one. Point one. All right, so for any of you guys that missed the Jazz game against the Heat or maybe you just didn't see the play very well, you know, there's a clip going around of when Rudy Gobert got hurt in that game. Um, obviously, he left that game and then he came back in, so I think a lot of us thought that he was going to be okay. Um, but then he sat it against Brooklyn and it was released Sunday um, that Rudy Gobert is going to be missing pretty significant time. It could be four to six weeks um, that were without Rudy Gobert. Um, obviously, that is far from a good thing. The Jazz were able to get the win without him um, on Saturday against the Brooklyn Nets. Um, obviously, it's not extremely telling, uh, just based on the the lack of um, depth and talent the Nets have in their front court. Um, but it was reassuring to see the Jazz get the W, even with Rudy Gobert out of the picture. Uh, but like I said, it's it's, it's going to be a tough road for the Jazz, Jazz without him. And going back to that game against the Heat, um, if you watch where he got hurt, it was pretty controversial because... You know, a lot of Jazz fans were saying that Dion Waiters um, really went at Rudy Gobert. It was intentional um, that he dove his leg like that. Rudy Gobert took to social media to even say that it was a dirty play. And I've watched it a bunch of times, and, you know, it's it's really weird. Quite honestly, we're never going to know for sure what went down, what the thoughts were, what the intentions were. But I want to give my two cents on it. As far as whether it was a dirty play or not, um, I think part of that depends on your definition of of dirty. Um, In my mind, a dirty play has to include having the intent of hurting someone or doing something wrong. I don't know that Waiters necessarily had the intention to hurt Rudy. We'll never know that. We can't get in his head. Obviously, he'd never admit that. Um, But I do think he had the intention, and if you watch the video... I do think Waiters had the intention to jump towards Rudy Gobert to stop him from getting a loose ball. If you watched in that clip, it was like the ball was already out of reach from where Dion Waiters could get to. So all he was trying to do at that point was adjust his uh, momentum and the direction he was heading so he could cut Rudy Gobert off and make sure Gobert couldn't get to the ball. And by so doing, you know, he goes right into Rudy's leg, obviously tweaked the knee very, very weird by throwing pretty much his full body weight into it. And so, whether or not it it was dirty, you know, based on your understanding or or your um, interpretation of, of that word, whether or not that's the case, I definitely do think it was unnecessary. I do think it was definitely reckless. Um, and to me, that's the best word to use to describe it. It was a very reckless play. You know, Deion Waiters couldn't get the loose ball, and so instead of you know just letting his momentum take him forward, he tries to jump over to the side a little bit and hit Rudy Gobert in the leg. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, the, the especially Heat fans and whatnot that want to defend Waiters are saying that, you know, he didn't have his balance. It was such a bang-bang play that he was out of control and there was no way he could have controlled where he went. And maybe that's the case, but it, it's kind of hard to just watch the video and fathom how he could change direction so dramatically if there wasn't at least some intention to go that way because his trajectory moves completely away from where the basketball was headed and straight into Rudy Gobert's legs. So kind of interesting. Um, Tony Jones of the Salt Lake Trib, he tweeted out that the Jazz wanted the league office to take a closer look at that play. Um, the league office kind of got back to him and said it was just a common foul, not an intentional foul. And I wasn't super happy about that. I mean, obviously the Jazz are not thrilled with this play, You know, whether it was intentional or not. Like I said, it was reckless. It was unnecessary. I don't believe he was trying to make a play on the ball with that second dive um, when he dove right towards Rudy Gobert. And so I really feel like it's something that should have been punished for what it was. It was a reckless play um, that, that caused an injury flat out. And I mean, there's things all the time that get punished that aren't necessarily I- intentional. Um, you know, maybe this wasn't dirty. Maybe it wasn't intentional on, on waiter's part, but the fact of the matter it was it wasn't really a basketball play. And I think of it, you know, if, it, if there's a game where a guy accidentally swings his elbow and, and nails another guy in the neck or in the face it can be a hundred percent an accident. Maybe he's swinging his elbow so he can move the ball to pass it to someone down court or something like that. But the fact of the matter is, he can still be called for a flagrant foul because it's such contact above the head or you know whatever the the stipulation the refs want to put on it is. But there's plenty of times when there's an extra punishment or a higher degree of foul given out, even if it's something that is a complete accident. That's the nature of a foul. Fouls aren't always intentional by any means. We all know that. Um, so why would a foul that was that was dirty or reckless or unnecessary have to be deemed intentional in order to be penalized. I mean, we look at, um, you know, this year there was a, an emphasis supposedly put on, um, you know, defenders closing out, kind of the Zaza Pachulia rule, as they're calling it, uh, because Kawhi Leonard landed on Pachulia's foot in the playoffs last year and then was out for the rest of the playoffs. Um, you know, if that is going to be deemed something that is a flagrant foul or a more serious foul when quite honestly a lot of the times and I'm not saying that Zaza's was the case with this but a lot of times when players close out like that it really isn't intentional it's just the way that their momentum carries them and now they can be called for a flagrant on that if that's the case then why wouldn't a reckless dive by Dion Waiters count as something that is more, you know, more serious or, or a flagrant foul. I think there should have been some sort of punishment doled out after the fact or at least something scrutinized, you know, something out by the league that this is something they need to look more closely at in the future. Anything. The fact that they just kind of brushed it off is what really rubbed me the wrong way, and I'm sure it rubbed, you know, the Jazz organization the wrong way as well. A lot of people on Twitter have said this, and I agree 100%, that imagine if this had happened to, you know, say, LeBron James or, say, Steph Curry. Any other player has a guy dive at him like this, and it would have been a whole big deal. But the fact that it was Rudy Gobert and it was the Jazz who... Um, You know, I I hate to complain about this because it's not going to change. It's beating a dead horse But because it was the jazz that get no love or respect, you know from the national media or anything like that It's kind of just got swept under the rug. It wasn't a big deal It was just one of those things that happens in basketball But again, I think if we see a similar dive where a player changes their direction entirely to roll right into the legs of of another player I think this becomes a bigger deal so Really frustrated with how that turned out. Obviously, um, it's going to be rough without Rudy Gobert. The Jazz are going to have to adjust big time. It was good to see Favors get going um, and the Jazz's win over the Nets. And he's going to have to step up big. I mean, Favors has said that he's the forgotten man. Uh, I'm a little worried about his mentality in Utah right now. I feel like he feels like he really is that odd man out, that he's he's not exactly um, you know, in the right place. It's going to be the best fit for him. But I still think he can bring a lot to this Jazz team, and I hope that they can embrace him. He can embrace the Jazz, and he does great things this upcoming, uh, these upcoming four weeks, to six weeks, I should say, as Rudy Gobert is out. That's going to be the biggest thing is the Jazz are going to just have to adjust and, and rely really heavily on favors. We saw that not having him and Gobert on the floor together did help the spacing um, quite significantly against Brooklyn. Um, let's see how that pans out in the next couple of weeks. You weeks. Know, we may be saying after this week that, wow, we're totally screwed without Rudy Gobert. I know last year when Rudy Gobert was out, um, a lot of times, well, he only missed one game last year, but the sentiment, I guess, all year was that, you know if Rudy Gobert is going to be out in this game or if he wasn't playing this game, we would be toast. Um, I'll say so far this year, And it pains me to say this, but I haven't been overly impressed with Rudy Gobert. I think a lot of that is not his fault. I think a lot of that is just adjusting to a new point guard and really a new team. Um, But in some ways, who knows? The Jazz may surprise us and be okay without him. Um, I just wish that that he could be back and healthy and the Jazz could really figure out the best way to utilize him like they did last year. So... I'm gonna not really pass much of a verdict on how I think the Jazz are going to survive or how they'll do without Rudy Gobert. There's just so many unknowns right now. We got to see how Favors does. That we got to see how um, you know a lot of other guys step up in his absence. And I think after this week, we're gonna see just how screwed we are without Rudy Gobert, or just how you know maybe okay we're gonna be. So gonna be an interesting week, an important week. Uh, but those are my thoughts on the Rudy Gobert injury. I think that Dion Waiters made a reckless, unnecessary play. I wouldn't consider it dirty per se just because we can't verify that there was intent to hurt or cause harm, but I do think there was definitely intent to um, block Rudy Gobert and not make a play on the ball. And the fact that it was around the leg area was totally unnecessary. So that's my thoughts. Um, you know, I talked a little bit about the adjustments the Jazz will have to make uh, with Gobert out, and that ties in real nicely to my next point. Let's talk a little bit about how the Utah Jazz can fix their woes thus far and continue to improve moving forward. <laughs> So in terms of my ideas for, you know, lack of a better term, of fixing the Jazz or or making sure they can improve on some of the the weaknesses they've had, I actually did a piece last week um, that, you know, I'll be frank, I was actually pretty proud of it. I I put a lot of work into, you know, some of the research and stats and things like that. Really dove into four ways that I thought the Jazz could could improve or four things they could at least try uh, to jumpstart the team, regardless of whether they would work or not. It was all things that were worth a shot. And, you know, obviously since I've written that, uh, the Jazz had a little bit of success. They they beat Brooklyn, which was good. Um, but I think even in that game, they showed they still have a lot of kinks they need to work out. But anyway, the four things, well, I'll start with the first one that I brought up in that piece was that I, I felt like Quinn Snyder needed to put Donovan Mitchell in the starting lineup. And obviously we, we saw that happen pretty quick. He started against Miami, um, and so... Let, let's just all go ahead and talk about that first, you know I feel like Mitchell played has played well since he's been in the starting lineup and that Rodney Hood has played well also and The biggest thing about whether that's gonna keep going or if that can work or not is you know I hope that Rodney Hood can buy into that role if Quinn Snyder feels like having him come off the bench and be our six man is Gonna be the best role for him Hopefully he can just buy into that. Um, I mean last year and I've touched on I've touched on this a lot on the show But one thing that really concerned me about Rodney Hood was in his end of year interviews, he was pretty adamant and pretty frustrated that he deserved to be a starter. He made that very clear, even though he hadn't really played much like a starter uh, to close out the year. But as he's come off the bench in these past couple games, especially against Brooklyn, he's played extremely well. And, you know, I would love to see Rodney Hood kind of become our version of Jamal Crawford. And just, you know, if that's going to be where Rodney's best, he just needs to embrace that role. I mean, yeah, you're not your name's not getting called at the beginning of the game, but you're coming in and you are... You are crucial in this team winning. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the question becomes, look, Rodney, would you rather come off the bench and win or start and lose? Because, you know, with you in the starting lineup, it hasn't been the best combination. Let's tweak things. Let's fix things up. And you see Hood is still finishing the games, which I think is a huge selling point to him that hopefully Quinn Snyder can get him excited about embracing potentially a new role. So there's that piece of it. And the other piece of it is, for example, you look at the game against Brooklyn and Hood actually played more minutes um, than Donovan Mitchell did. Granted, Donovan Mitchell scored more points. Um, that's just, that was just how it worked out. But I think that Rodney can see that too, that look, we need to change the dynamic. Our starting lineup has been sluggish. It's been slow. Um, our scoring in the second unit hasn't worked out as well as we'd want it to either. Um, so starting Mitchell and bringing in Hood is not necessarily saying that you know Donovan is our better player Uh, I think that we would all agree that he could probably become that. Maybe he's becoming that quicker than we would like to think. Um, But it's not necessarily saying that. It's more saying that, look, Rodney, this is what's going to work the best. We're going to utilize you where it's going to be the best fit and the best combination for our team. If Hood can really buy into that, I think the Jazz could see major improvements. And the fact of the matter is, you know, this Jazz team underwent huge changes from last year. Um, You know, we we lost our two leading scorers in Gordon Herod and George Hill. Um, A lot of changes in the bench as well. I mean, you know, I think guys like Shelvin Mack and Boris DL that love him or hate him, they were doing a lot for the Jazz last year. They were playing a lot of minutes, doing a lot of things. So there's a ton of changes, and this Jazz team is just going to have to adapt, and Rodney Hood is going to have to be a part of that. If it's going to be better that he comes off the bench, he's going to have to get used to that as this team figures out who it is now and how they're going to have the most success. Uh, speaking of guys that are going to have to adapt, you know, the next thing that I talked about in that piece I mentioned earlier that the Jazz need to do uh, to jumpstart the team or to have more success, is they need to give Derek Favors more opportunities. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like I maybe jinx the team by saying that because now with Rudy Gobert injured, uh favors is going to get those opportunities real quick he's going to have those instantly and you know he he, like i said he looks good against brooklyn kind of a vintage favors performance a lot of people were saying but we're going to need more of that we we need to see angry favors we need to see favors going out there and playing with passion and and looking to score and really being that dominant big man i go back to you know it's a game that has always stood out my mind partially because i had the Um, The blessing of being able to attend this game. But when the Jazz played the Pacers two years ago in Salt Lake and Derek Favors had his career high, he just looked like an animal out there. He was just, you know, getting these rebounds and and just scoring at will and he's just so passionate about it. We need to see that Favors back in action again. And with Rudy Gobert out, you know, I think that he's going to be looking to really prove that. And, you know, Derek Favors in this whole situation is another example of where the Jazz may need to just simply adapt. I mean, you look at last year. And Derek Favors was a hurt for most of the year. You know, Boris Diaw a lot of times was starting at the power forward. And and even though he didn't have the greatest year from three uh, last year, just his presence helped stretch the floor. Teams weren't just going to leave him wide open all the time. Whereas this year, I I know that Favors has taken some corner threes and all that, uh, but I still think he's got a long way to go before any team is going to respect him from deep. And the fact of the matter is our spacing has just been terrible with him and Gobert. Um, both, both starting and both playing significant time together. So, you know, for now with Gobert out, it's not going to be as much of an issue as far as Favors needing to um, adapt to, to a different role per se. Now he's going to be one of the main focal points in the pick and roll and in the paint and all that. But when Gobert comes back. There's a chance that Derek Favors and even Rudy Gobert may have to completely adapt from the roles they had last year. And the fact of the matter is maybe they don't play together as often. Maybe Favors is still in the starting lineup, but he only plays a few minutes before we sub in Tavos at or something along those lines. And then we have uh, Favors playing a lot more backup center minutes. Whatever the case is, um, really the Jazz just have to be willing to adjust and change their mindset, realizing, hey, you know what? Even though we were good and we were comfortable doing certain things last year... Um, this year's different. It's a totally different team. We have totally different challenges and struggles and strengths, and we're going to need to be flexible and buy into those. That's the biggest thing. If the Jazz can buy into the fact that Quinn Snyder is going to have to tweak and tamper and change different things, then I think they're going to be okay. And I, I really believe in Quinn that he can get this thing turned around, even with Rudy Gobert being out. I mean, Quinn Snyder showed last year that he can adapt. I mean the onslaught of injuries we had last year and we were still able to have the success that we had that makes me feel really confident that Quinn Snyder can figure this out as long as his players are willing to buy in. That's the biggest thing is that you know maybe maybe certain players are going to be moved to the bench, maybe certain players are going to see the rotations change or their playing time going to be a little bit different than what they expected. But if they can buy into that, then that's what's gonna be best for the team. Um I think it's it's gonna be phenomenal for the Jazz. Uh the one thing I will say, finishing up on favors, um, you know, like I said, he looked really good against Brooklyn. Obviously they don't have the best front court to really challenge him. Um but it seemed like Ricky Rubio had really good chemistry with him, especially in the pick and roll. Um wanna see if that continues this upcoming week against some really good big men, you know, in Carl Anthony Towns. Um, and in you know Chris Haps, and other guys that the Jazz will be facing this week. If that can continue, then the Jazz are going to have to really, really consider running a lot more of their offense through favors and running a lot more pick and rolls with Rubio and favors. I actually saw something that I agreed with and really liked on Twitter um, from Andy Bailey, um, who's a great Jazz follow, um, does some stuff for Bleacher Report. But he was talking about... Um, how maybe it would be good to see the Jazz do pick and rolls more Rubio with favors and, and Ingles with Gobert because that's been where they've had the most success and I agree I'd love to see more of that as well. Um, then the last two things in my article that I touched on as far as fixing the Jazz or jumpstarting the Jazz one was Alec Burks um, having a lot less playing time Alec Bur- Alec Burks excuse me hitting the bench um, you know honestly he hasn't played that much the past two games. He was actually one of the few that played well against Miami. Uh, maybe he'll prove me wrong. Maybe little by little Alec can get comfortable and, and Quinn will keep going to him. But for a while there, it was just he was such a negative impact on the court. And it seemed like he was so detrimental in everything he would do um, that I felt like the Jazz needed to give somebody else those minutes and just not rely so heavily on Alec Burks uh, coming in off the bench. We'll see there. I'm still not sold that playing him all that much is going to be that that positive a thing for the Jazz. The last you know, item I talked about as far as um, you know, what the Jazz could do to, to improve was just giving Joe Ingles the greenest of green lights. I mean, he's shooting 43% from deep on the year. Um, I, I still think that he can, he can continue to shoot more threes. The biggest thing with Joe, you know, he's not a guy that's going to be selfish. That's not in his nature, but he needs to do a better job of just being assertive. There have been a few occasions where he's passed up wide-open looks um, or, or he's you know had a pretty good look and he's decided to dribble or drive or pass the ball. I would rather see Joe just chuck it from three because we know he can make them. We know that can be one of our more effective offensive weapons, and I hope that he'll continue to do that. So obviously things are going to change these next four to six weeks with Rudy Gobert out. Um, it's going to be in some ways a reset button as so the Jazz try to figure out how they'll continue to thrive without him. Um, but regardless of what happens... I think the things I've touched on are things the Jazz do need to do or will need to continue to do in order to find success and and really improve this year. So those are my thoughts for for fixing the Jazz. Let's move on now to point number three, a a look at the week ahead. Point three. So as I've already touched on, last week was not exactly the prettiest. Um, That game against Philadelphia was honestly one of the most painful games I can remember seeing, um, at least recently. You know, Jazz just looked flat-footed. They couldn't get a shot to drop, and it was just it was just painful. And then there was the game against Miami, where Utah looked pretty good in the in the first half, and then just had one of the most brutal third quarters I think we've ever witnessed, and couldn't bounce back from that. Then you know, last game of the week, um, finally got a win against Brooklyn, which was good. Um, But the fact that Utah went one and two in a week, where you know, I think a lot of people thought they could have easily gone three and zero. I'd actually predicted them to go two and one. I thought they would beat Philadelphia, but I did pick them to lose to Miami, so I got that one right. Uh, but even going two and one would have at least kept them uh, you know above five hundred um, but such is not the case. The Jazz are below five hundred by a game uh once again here so interesting week last week, and you know it doesn't really get easier from here. Um, November is somewhat friendly, but then December is gonna be absolutely brutal um just with the opponents and the way the schedules worked out. So hopefully the Jazz this week, even though they're going to start on a road trip um, in the middle of the week, hopefully they can really get things turned around. First game they have will be Monday against the Minnesota Timberwolves, and that one will be the last of their homestand. Minnesota's been a bit of an interesting uh, team this year. I mean, they dropped a game just barely to the Phoenix Suns. Um, You know, the Suns have been playing better of late than they did uh, beat up on the Jazz, obviously not long ago. So I guess now that the Suns have some more wins under their belt and they just beat the Timberwolves, maybe we shouldn't feel so bad about that. But, you know, the Wolves, even with their kind of inconsistencies, they're 7-5. and five. They're a very good team. Obviously, Carl Anthony Towns is playing great, and, and he's played well against us. Um, so Derek Fabers is going to have to be big there to keep him in check. And, you know, one thing my biggest knock on Towns has been, I feel like his defense sometimes is a little bit lackadaisical. I feel like he lacks focus on, on defense. You know, for everything he does good offensively, I still think he has a lot of ground to make up on defense. So, you know, even if... if Towns is able to thrive and have a good offensive night. I hope that, you know, uh, Favors can frustrate him enough and assert some of his own offense to really just throw Towns out of a rhythm or really capitalize on that kind of lackluster defense that I touched on. That's going to be a big key if the Jazz are going to beat Minnesota. Um, when when, When looking at Minnesota, when looking at their record, you know, I feel like their two wins over Oklahoma City were impressive, minus the fact that the Thunder have been off to a little bit of a shaky start. Uh, but even those, I didn't feel like they were overwhelmingly um, you know, something I would call a statement win. I feel like I'm still waiting for the, the Timberwolves to come out and give me a, a statement win. A lot of their wins have been pretty much you would expect them. Obviously, the Jazz were a silly turnover down the stretch away from beating them in their first contest. So I think if the Jazz play with the chemistry they had for most of that Brooklyn game, and if they can actually make some shots, I think the Jazz have a chance to win this one. With that being said, I don't feel confident in that happening. Um, well, at least not confident enough. I do think Minnesota is going to win the game on Monday. Um, I simply don't trust the Jazz yet. I don't trust their execution. I don't trust their offense. Um, I'm worried about them defending towns without Gobert. So with all those factors kind of adding up, I'm going to pick Minnesota to win the game on Monday. Um, even though I do think the Jazz, do, they do have a good shot to win. They could prove me wrong. I'm still going to go with Minnesota. Um, and then on Wednesday, the 15th, Uh, The Jazz will begin a four-game road trip. Three of those four games will be this week, uh, which is week five of the 2017-18 season. New York's been kind of a surprising team for me. Um, You know, they're 7-5 and right now. They started 0-3, and so they've gone on to win seven of their last nine, so they're pretty hot right now. Uh, Porzingis just looks so legit, and and this is going to be another tough test for Favors. I mean, I, I know that Favors... You know, he's been he's been looking to prove himself, especially after a terrible year last year. He's going to have to keep these guys like Towns and uh, Porzingis in check if he wants to prove himself. On both ends of the floor, he's going to have to make them work. Um, also, Ennis Cantor, who obviously is uh, quite the villain among Jazz fans. Um, I think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder, always seems to, against Utah. And say what you will about him, I mean, he's a great offensive player. And the Jazz are going to have to be ready to hold him in check. You know, him and Porzingis and... Um, Tim Hardaway Jr. have been a nice little trio for the, for the New York Knicks and so the Jazz cannot sleep on these guys. Uh, fortunately, I will say I think the Knicks' record of 7-5 and five is a little bit deceiving. They haven't played a ton of teams that are all that good, in my mind. They did beat the Cavs, you know, I would say the reeling Cavs back when they were really struggling. Um, they also beat the Nuggets, which was a good win. But a lot of the Knicks' other wins are against teams that are, you know, you kind of think it was a wash or not that impressive of a victory. So I'm hoping the Jazz can go in there and get their first road win. And I'm actually going to predict that that's exactly what's going to happen. You know, the Knicks are, are better than I thought they were going to be. Um, especially, you know, after losing Carmelo. Um, I think the Knicks have potential to be a playoff team this year. I really do think that um, in the wide-open Eastern Conference. But I'm hoping the Jazz can come in and use their depth and use their experience and just overwhelm this team to get their first road win. Uh, Then on Friday, uh, kind of weird, we'll be playing the Brooklyn Nets again. So we're getting both of our games against Brooklyn out of the way here early in the season, uh, two weeks back-to-back. You know, the Nets are a lot better than they were last year. And we saw in this most recent game in Utah that they're going to fight to the very end. I think they have a lot of guys that I can really respect, really appreciate for not being a squad that's going to give up. Uh, But especially with D'Angelo Russell out, um, we don't know the exact time frame yet, but for for a significant number of games after he hurt his knee against the Jazz on Saturday, I think that the Nets are really going to struggle. I mean, Russell's been playing absolutely phenomenal. He's been their leading scorer over 20 points a game. I just don't know that the Nets have enough talent or enough enough depth uh, to make up for his absence. So I know the Jazz looked bad against uh, Philadelphia and Miami. Um, I know they're going to be on the road in this one, but I really do think they'll get the win. If for some reason I'm totally off here, guys, and the Jazz lose to both the Knicks and the Nets, I think at that point we become really, really concerned about their um, ability to play on the road. I think we're all a little bit concerned right now, but you know, if they could drop both of those ones, it's going to be an absolute huge concern. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel pretty confident, though, about pinning the Jazz as winning those two. Uh hope they don't prove me wrong, as they have several times already this year, but those are my thoughts with, with the game against Brooklyn. Last of all, on Saturday the 18th, uh, so it'll be the second night of a back-to-back right after playing Brooklyn, the Jazz will travel to Orlando. And uh, i got to be honest, Orlando has been absolutely uh, surprising to me this year, and I'm actually all for it. Um, I'm actually a huge Frank Vogel fan. I thought the Pacers made a huge mistake getting rid of him, and I mean, if the Magic can continue this upward trajectory, um, I think they're only going to regret it more and more. Uh, You know, it's it's only Vogel's second year um, with the Magic, and it's early. I realize that it's still very early in the year, but he's... If what he's doing now is any indication of how good they're going to be this year, then that's a pretty dang quick turnaround uh, for Vogel to get in there and make these changes. I really hope they continue to do well. Honestly, I, I'm pulling for the Magic, obviously, minus in the game against the Jazz. But a few things that really stand out to be about the Magic, you know, they're fourth in the league in points per game. They're third in the league in assists per game. They're moving the ball while well. they're getting everybody involved. They're really using the team. They're also second in three-point percentage. They are burning the nets from deep and a big part of that is you know the kind of their four main guys right now you have Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, uh, Nikola Vukovic and then Jonathan Simmons who are all sh- they're all scoring over 15 points per game which is is good but then get this they're also all of them are shooting over 50% from the field and over 40% from deep that's four guys that are meeting those qualifications and to me that's that's absolutely insane um Aaron Gordon looks like one of the front runners for most improved player award he's been absolutely phenomenal Um, You know, when he first came in the league, I thought he was kind of one dimensional, kind of limited um, as far as what he could do right off the bat. I obviously knew I knew he would improve. I knew he had a really good potential, but I've just been blown away this year how versatile he is becoming, you know, just adding a lot more, you know, weapons to his repertoire offensively and things like that. Um, so we'll see if he continues to improve or keep up at this rate that he's going. I have a hard time believing that all four of those guys are going to keep that insane rate of 50% from the field and 40% from deep, but we'll see. I mean, if they can even have a semblance of those performances they've had so far, they're going to be a very good team. Uh, the thing that is even more impressive, or I guess could be even more impressive for this magic team is that, you know, Frank Vogel is a coach that's known for his defense You know, he coached those Pacers teams that went toe-to-toe with the Heat, um, that were known for their stifling defense and really making teams struggle to score. So that's what Frank Vogel is really known for. His reputation as a defensive coach. Yet he currently has one of the best offensive teams in the league, you know, based on their three-point percentage, their points, they're in the top 10 in offensive rating, you know, a lot of promising things on that end of the floor, that if Frank can figure out a way to also get them going defensively, as he's been known to do, and they can really become more of a two-way team, they're going to be scary, guys. I mean, I think Orlando has a chance to be really good. Um, again, I know it's it's very early. They've kind of dropped some head scratching losses, you know, mixed in with some impressive wins. Uh, but I think they have the potential to be good this year. And um, I know a lot could still change, but especially in the Eastern Conference, I think Orlando's going to make it. I think they're going to be a playoff team this year if they can just keep up any semblance of this of this hot hot start they've gotten off to. Um, Getting back to the Jazz now, obviously, with this game um, on Saturday coming on the second night of a back-to-back, I do not think the Jazz are going to win this one. Magic have been playing too good. I really think they have a good chemistry, good momentum right now. And, And again, I hope that the Jazz prove me wrong. But they haven't done enough for me to trust that they can win a game like this, especially on the road. I need to see the Jazz execute a lot better. Uh, we need to see their shots fall better. We need to see a defense that has more cohesion, more communication before I pin them to win a tough road game against a team as hot as Orlando that's been playing so good. So, with that being said, I've got the Jazz pinned for this week at two and two. Um, you know that would still keep their record under five hundred um, at the end of this week. Um, but really if if they can go two and two, I think that would be decent, um especially based on what we saw this past week. And hopefully it just gets them you know on a better trajectory, they get some more momentum. And really, you know, all four of these games, I can see them going either way. I mean I could see any outcome on any of them. I think the one I feel most confident about is that the Jazz will lose to Orlando just because of the road aspect. Second, I have a back-to-back, you know, you gotta flight all the way from Brooklyn to Orlando, um, and just with how good the magic have been playing, that's the one I feel the most confident about. Um but really I think that all four of my predictions could go either way. So hopefully the Jazz don't don't fall apart and don't blow up without Rudy. Um because each game is going to present an interesting challenge. So biggest thing I want to see out of this though is what Derek Favors does. You know, I think we've all known that his future is a little bit foggy. Um, you know, based on how he's played, how his injuries have been, um, where his head is at with this team. Uh we don't really know what his future holds for him, but I feel like a lot of what he does in these next four to six weeks while Rudy Gobert is out. Is really gonna determine his future. You know, whether he plays really well and, and the Jazz are, are just adamant about keeping him and they find a way to keep him once he's a free agent, or maybe he plays super well and it opens up the eyes of other teams, but the Jazz think he's redundant with Rudy and they can trade him for something that's a more valuable piece. I don't know. I'm I'm just spitballing all of this. All I'm really saying is that the next four to six weeks are going to be so Um, vital and so telling about what the future is going to hold for Derek Favors because, you know, he has a chance to finally not be in Rudy Gobert's shadow uh, to play the center position and not be worried about, you know, cramping the paint with another center type guy. And if he can make the most of it, it could mean big news for Derek Favors. So... That's going to do it for the show today. Um, Again, I'm picking the Jazz to go two and two. I hope they can do better. Last week was pretty disappointing. We'll see how things go without Rudy Gobert. Make sure you're keeping up with the podcast uh, by following at 3P Threat Podcast um, online. Also make sure to follow all my articles of of myself and my team at thejnotes.com. That Twitter handle is just at thejnotes. My personal handle is at jaredwoodcox. Hope you'll keep tuning into the show. Um, I can't believe I'm already 20 episodes in. Looking forward to the next 20 and beyond. So with that being said, so long everybody and go Jazz.